0: Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, and thank you for
1: allowing me to accompany you today by way of radio, or perhaps on one of your mobile devices, or maybe even the podcast. Uh, Well, we are four weeks into the new year, and I've been mulling over a particular subject, and I've been reflecting upon Scripture as it relates to this subject Friends, I've come to realize that this subject does not discriminate, nor is it bound by age. From the youngest child who has self-awareness to the oldest senior adult and every age in between, all of us have a personal connection here. And as I was musing on this subject, I also found that it does not discriminate, nor is it bound by gender. Men and women alike have personally experienced this phenomenon firsthand. Then I came to see that this subject does not discriminate, nor is it bound by marital status. Yes, friends, single, married, divorced, and widowed people all have come into close contact with this subject. Now, the more I thought about this, I came to realize that this issue does not discriminate, nor is it bound by cultural or economic factors. From what we might describe as the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich, and every socioeconomic bracket in between, no one seems to be untouched by it. In fact, friends, I dare say that this subject does not discriminate, nor is it bound by geographic locations. In other words, it doesn't really matter where on God's good green earth we live. We cannot elude, evade, or escape the influence or effects of this idea. While musing and reflecting on this topic, I even came to realize that this topic does not discriminate, nor is it bound even by our religious affiliations, including all of the world's major religions. I must say here that the startling thing that I discovered in all of this is that even we Christians are not immune or exempt from deeply and personally experiencing and being affected by this subject matter. I hope that we're all coming to realize that it sure seems like every single human being, regardless of our age, gender, marital status, cultural background, or economic status, geographical location, or religious affiliation, we are all impacted and cannot come away unscathed by this subject, Friends, today I feel compelled to talk about the subject of, or the word, fear. And friends, the question of all questions I asked myself and now extend to all of us is this. Will 2020 end up being a year of fear? Fear, my friends, is a very interesting subject and topic of conversation, and I believe and I know there are lots of opinions about fear. Nearly 30 years of pastoral ministry have made me pull the reins in on pat answers and thoughtless responses, and thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about fear. Did you know that up until recently, it has been suggested that the number one menace to world health was cancer or even AIDS, plagues, or even polio? But sadly, we now know that the number one menace to health the world over is stress. And stress, my friends, more often than not, has its roots in the things we fear. One high school social science teacher during a lecture on how we humans react to fear concluded, we can sum up our instinctive responses to fear in three words, fight or flight. Now I've heard that expression and I'm sure you have too. Well, it seems that we humans, when it comes to handling fear, can only take so much flight or fight. Our natural flight or fight response mechanism often results in pressure, nervous tension, worry, and anxiety. And while we're discussing this, let's make sure we're all on the same page. Let's provide a quick definition of flight and fight, okay? Flight generally means avoiding certain people or situations. And in this context, avoiding may include the idea of shying away from or not wishing to face particular people or circumstances. Fight generally refers to struggling to make the grade or meet someone else's expectations. And in this context, struggling may refer to or include Forceful efforts to break free of some restraint or restriction. The emotional energy we expend in both of these responses can become wearing and draining. At times, it may even suck the very life out of us. Friends, perhaps the name Cory Tenboom sounds familiar. Perhaps not. But Cory was a Nazi concentration camp survivor during World War II. In 1975, a movie was made of her life and experiences. It's worth watching. It's called The Hiding Place. Corrie Tenboom has some interesting things to say about life. Probably her most known saying is, Worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you moving but doesn't get you anywhere. Two other great things she said are, Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. How about, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. You may be thinking, but Pastor Tom, what about the fear of the Lord? Doesn't that play a part? Isn't that part of the equation of life too? Yes, it does. And yes, it is. And we'll talk about that in some detail in just a bit. I'll explain what fearing the Lord actually means. I find it very interesting that we've learned from the field of psychology and the combined psychological disciplines that good mental health generally springs from two things. First, a sense of security in who we are And second, a sense of significance in what we do. And the amazing thing is that the scriptures, our Bible, speaks to these two things directly in one phenomenal statement. And it's packed with power. And we shouldn't just gloss over it when we read it. It's Acts chapter 17, verse 28. This is a great verse to commit to memory. It's short, but it speaks volumes. Here it is. For in him we live and move and have our being. Now, it may not sound that earth-shattering upon first reading it, and the phrase have our being literally means are or exist. So we could say, in him we live and move and exist. This is one of the great examples, friends, of our Bible being the original psychology manual. Whether they're willing to admit it, psychologists and psychiatrists have been given divine grace from the God of the Bible to analyze the complex human personality— now, to be sure, they don't always get it right, and some approaches I probably wouldn't recommend, but we'd be wise to not simply throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sometimes we need to avail ourselves of their help, don't we? But let's get back to Acts 17:28. In him we live and move and exist or have our being. Friends, I want us to observe that these two things, a sense of security in who we are and a sense of significance in what we do, are both beautifully described and intertwined in the biblical language of Acts 17.28. The phrase, in him we live and move, parallels what we do. And the phrase, and have our being, parallels who we are and interestingly enough the biblical word live here is not the word bios where we get our english word biology it's rather the greek word rooted in zoe which means life that has unending duration or as we would call it eternal life The New Testament Christ followers and writers of our New Testament documents recognize that Zoe was the core of our spiritual life as believers. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they chose this word because it not only signifies duration, or everlasting, but it signifies dimension. Dimension. It's not merely sterile biological existence, but rather a spiritual aliveness that flourishes from what we infuse into it by the meaningful things and activities we do. And the great thing is that the activities and works we do have spiritual and eternal value to them. Jesus himself possessed Zoe, and he imparts Zoe life to us when we become born again. So, friends, in him we live, in him we are spiritually alive, and in him we move. Now, this word move is cool. It's where we get our English word kinesis and kinesiology, those of you, like me, who have ever gone to physical therapy for an injury, we've been schooled in kinesiology, haven't we? This word, kineo, is often used as a metaphor to indicate moving and acting in a certain way. As I understand it, here in Acts 17.28, it serves to reinforce the idea that as believers, our activities and works are being referred to. Now, due to time restrictions, I'm not able to read Paul's entire context surrounding Acts seventeen twenty-eight. So I'm going to suggest you check it out when you have a minute. The key verses are verses 22 through 34. But the gist here is that Paul is in Athens dialoguing with some unbelieving pagan philosophers, and he actually quotes a Greek and Roman philosopher writings to make his point. So let's connect the dots here. Paul's quote and his timely analysis of modern psychology, "...in him, Jesus, we live and move and exist." This single and simply stated verse of Scripture reminds us and assures us that we have both a sense of security and a sense of significance because we belong to Jesus Christ, and as we put our trust and confidence in him. Well, what I'm trying to say here, friends, is that as we fully and completely trust and rely on Jesus with our total being... We reap the benefit of having a sense of security as we relate to one another and to the people around us. And we also reap the benefit of being confident that our life is significant because we have a place in God's kingdom where we both serve him and serve the people around us. In so doing, friends, putting our total confidence in Jesus frees us from living our lives as slaves to other people and as slaves to constant fear. And now here's the perfect junction to elaborate on the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, two well-known passages here are Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Interestingly, Proverbs also counsels us in 29.25, the fear of man proves to be a snare. But whoever trusts or relies on the Lord will be raised high above danger, as the complete Jewish Bible puts it. Here again, friends, we have to strap on Jewish sandals and hear these verses the way Hebrew people heard them. For the Hebrew people, Lord, was the one true God, the covenant God of Israel, the one true creator and sovereign ruler of the universe. By the way, one common Jewish praise prayer begins, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Blessed be or are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. To fear this God was to reverence or revere him, and this reverence included having a sense of awe, which means a profound sense of respect, mixed with wonder. Theologians like to use the expression reverential awe to keep it separated from and distinguishing it from the purely afraid kind of fear, which it isn't. So to fear the Lord means to revere him above all, above everything else, every fellow human being even. Someone once said, those who fear the Lord fear no one or nothing else. I don't think we realize it, but anything we fear above God means that we are actually exchanging that thing or that person with God. We are replacing God with that thing or person. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. So God has not given us a spirit of fear. Thanks, God. But fear is not a simple matter, is it? I believe the emotion of fear has a protective effect in our lives as humans. But the emotion of fear can also have spiritual repercussions when it paralyzes us and prevents us from carrying out God's plans or doing his will or obeying something in his word. Fear can actually cause us to disobey God's word. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk or live by faith and not by sight. Friends, here I believe Paul was using sight in this sense. We as Christians walk and live by another dimension of sight, spiritual sight, and therefore we don't need to rely on the things we see with our physical eyes. Isn't it interesting that the expression do not fear or fear not occurs over a hundred and thirty-nine times in the Bible? And this doesn't include the idea of be not afraid, don't worry, don't be anxious, let not your heart be troubled. By the way, the last phrase was Jesus' own counsel to his disciples in John fourteen one, and troubled may also be understood to mean disturbed or frightened. Let let me let you in on a little secret here, friends. The antidote to fear seems to include trusting and relying on both God and Jesus. Believing in, trusting in, and relying on God are the Bible's way of motivating us to live by faith. So my question has been, will this be a year of fear? Or perhaps we can ask, will this be a year of fear or a year of faith? Listen to 1 John 5, 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Remember Cory Ten Boom? If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Friends, I'm challenging you to this new year, exchange the fear of man with the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, if you will. Amen. People around us in circumstances are vying for the God position in our lives. They want to rule us, and we must make every effort with the power of the Holy Spirit of God to not let them have the God position. The creator and sovereign God of the Bible must be bigger in our minds than any person, place, or thing, period. Author Edward Welch wrote a book called When People Are Big and God Is Small. Listen to what he says. The task God sets for us in life is to emotionally require people less and to love them more. Wow, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? But, friends, I believe it is possible if we commit to knowing and living Acts seventeen twenty eight. In him we live and move and have our being. And also make the other scriptures we've shared today more alive in our lives and into our relationships with others. And, friends, I believe that the key to unlocking these passages of scripture— and making them more practical and personal in our lives is to allow faith to be the action word that it is in the Bible. It's a verb. And a better but somewhat peculiar English equivalent would be faith And so, in a sense, the Bible is motivating us all and encouraging us all to not only place our faith in Jesus Christ, but live out our faith in Jesus Christ completely. Amen. I'm sure most of you have heard the acronym for fear that some people say, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. Well, I'm not a big fan of that acronym, so I made up my own. Listen to mine, F-E-A-R, falling for earthly affirmations as reality. And my acronym for faith, F-A-I-T-H, would be finding affirmation in the heavenlies. Friends, I can see we're nearing the end of today's program, and I just want to remind you that as a local pastor here in the Valley, although I'm semi-retired, I'm active in overseeing several disciple-making communities that meet at various coffee shops, I just want you to know that it's my honor to be able to pray for you. Perhaps this new year is not shaping up the way you'd hoped, or maybe it's not shaping up the way you planned, and you'd like some additional prayer support. Today's broadcast will close with an email address where I can be contacted, so please, please listen for it. This email address is also where you may contact me to learn how you can financially help this listener-supported radio program. Friends, thanks for listening today, and always remember that
0: Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at awordfromtheword.com at minister.com That's a word from the word at minister.com